This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I am your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries. Happy 200th episode, Sam. Yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting that. It is our 200th episode, which Will was saying, like, we've been going almost four years with this podcast. I need to go find our anniversary date of when we started these. The first one? The very first one. But it's been... 200 episodes in the making. We thought about doing a special one, but we're both so lazy. We will ask me, what are we doing for our no, 200 episodes? No, we're episode? not both so lazy. You just don't want to do it. <laughs> well, you're the one who's like, what are we going to do? Like, in other words, you do it. I'm not doing it. You do it. I just wanted to brainstorm with you. I thought you would like some kind of part <laughs> in it. So he says, what are we doing for our 200th episode? And I said, Genesis 27. Like, we're continuing right along. Just the coldest text ever, though. Just G-E-N space two seven. Yeah. So I, I keep forgetting that Her millennials millennial. get wounded when you don't put exclamations and hearts. and. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like Drew gets deeply like she, she gets rocked. Are you mad at me? There yeah. weren't 3000 exclamation points. I'm so suspicious if anyone ever texts me fine or sure. Like if you yeah. hit me with a sure, I'm like, just, <laughs> I'll just crawl away. Like the person's really angry. Yeah, like, you hate me. Okay, whatever. So we're working on that with our older generation now that the younger workforce is, you know. Nope. Coming into our own. Not happening. You're getting sure. From from here on this week, nothing but sure. (laughs) You'll never see me on the (laughs) podcast again. All right, so we are picking up at Genesis 27. Wait, I'm close to the uh, origin date. Okay. I am curious, actually. When was our very first one? Let's see. Late 2019 would be my guess. Yeah, pretty good. Halfway. June 16th, 2019, the first one dropped. Okay. So we are about four years. Nice. That's pretty cool. It's been fun. Doesn't feel like 200 episodes. Like if you had to, if you had to list them out, I'd be like, uh, let's see. We did, uh, <laughs> it'd be hard to list out 200 episodes. We got episodes. Isaiah, Life of Peter, First Kings. Yeah. And Galatians, Ephesians. We did a resurrection. We did a tour of Holy Week. We're in Holy Week right now. That is on personal worship this week, folks. So, so if you want a guided tour of Holy Week, it kind of walks you through each of the days. That was a fun series to do. Um, we've done some specials episodes. So anyway, it's it's been fun. But we are pressing in, uh, jumping into Genesis 27 today. And where we finished last week, we're really starting to move beyond Isaac. We told you in previous episodes that Isaac feels like he gets the leftovers, like he's not mentioned much. And so even in today's episodes, it's like he's nearly blind. You get to feel like he's almost on his deathbed, which he's not. He'll live many more years to come after this. But you get the sense that he's very frail and that he's coming toward the end. And so you're like, wait, man, we didn't hardly deal with Isaac at all. But the story is really starting to focus in on Jacob And for whatever reason, you get the sense that God has a very special place in his heart for this guy who's a total scoundrel. Like he refers to himself as the God of Jacob many times throughout the scriptures. 
And this guy, as you'll see, as we start getting into his life, he is a he is holding true to his name. He's a schemer, and he's causing other people to stumble. So jumping right in, verse 1, chapter 27, says, When Isaac was old, and again, you're like, whoa, we just met Isaac, you know. <laughs> but when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. And so in Isaac's, if we're remembering the previous week, so Isaac, is a, he's, he's in the fan club for Esau. He loves his son, which means, by the way, Esau's not this vicious monster character. Like, you know, we, we want to make him the bad guy like he's just running around doing evil things. If Well, if God hated him, you clearly he must be, you know, the devil. And yet Isaac, who's a pretty faithful guy, who's a man of prayer, who's obedient to the Lord, looks at his son and he's the favored one. Like so Isaac likes Esau more than Jacob. But on the flip side of that, Rebecca loves Jacob and God puts his hand on the scale, and God is clearly going to favor Jacob, even though he's a mess. And so you get the sense here that Isaac is bucking what God wants, which is weird because Isaac, you don't get that feel for Isaac. Rebecca's had a dream that says, you know, the older is going to serve the younger. In other words, the young person's going to be in the driver's seat. And yet here you have Isaac who's like, no, we're going, we're going with Esau. And is Isaac doing this suspiciously? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he's being disobedient or not. We're never told that Rebecca went to Isaac and said, hey, this is what God told okay. me. So is it you, normal for this kind of thing to be done so privately like and so quickly? Like, hey, I've decided I'm going to die soon. Why don't you go fill my belly and I'll give you the blessing? So there's a lot of confusion over, like, what is a birthright and what's the blessing? Well, a birthright, like the firstborn usually would carry on the father's name. They would manage the the family estate. They would, if there were still minors in the family when the dad died, you like you cared for the family. Uh, you made sure that you had dowries set aside for any unmarried sisters, and you were in charge of making sure that all of the family affairs and burials and weddings and everything else, like you were, you were, you became in a sense the patriarch mm. over the family. And so those were duties that you had, and usually the greatest blessing. And by the way, firstborn in the ancient world, you got a double portion of the inheritance. So if, if let's say you and I are brothers, and our dad died, and it was just us, then the the inheritance would be divided into three. Mm. I would get two, you would get one, and so you got a double portion. And so we typically say that the birthright and the blessing should go together, but that's not always reality. So Jacob will get the birthright and the blessing, but like you look at the following generation, you know, when Joseph is there, Joseph actually gets a double portion of the promised land. So his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, will get a double portion. And so in a sense, he gets some of the firstborn rights, uh, birthright, and yet the the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing, will go to Judah. And so they're different, but they're they're usually together. Not always, though. So we see that in the scriptures. 
So what's interesting about this, like it's God who comes to Isaac and announces the blessing on Isaac. It's God who comes to Uh Abraham and announces the blessing on Abraham. But here you don't have the Lord, at least not yet, who's coming to Jacob and saying, hey, the blessing, when we talk about the blessing, by the way, when Abraham first came, God first comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply your descendants. You know, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. That's all part of the blessing. But the the crux of the blessing that we're talking about, the heart of it, is through your descendants, I'm going to raise up a seed who's going to bless all the nations on the earth. That's the core of the blessing. Salvation's going to come through your line. And so when God tells Abraham that, it's, you know, God tells Abraham, then God tells Isaac. And so in this story, um, God has come and told Rebekah that the older is going to serve the younger. In other words, the it's going to be the younger one who gets all the benefits of being the firstborn, uh, which is kind of the pattern of God that we've, we've seen and we talk about. And so Isaac is wanting to hold true to the cultural trends of primogeniture, you know, Firstborn gets everything, and Rebecca's going, no, God told me that Jacob is going to be the one who is served by the older brother. And Isaac's like, nope, we're doing it my way. Okay, so in this, there's the blessing, and then there are other blessings. Yeah, so there's okay, a... So there's that's the clarity moment for me, even. Yeah, so, I mean, think about and when you get to the end of Genesis, when Jacob is you know close to his he's on his deathbed he's coming to the end and he has each and every one of his 12 sons paraded in front of him and Jacob is going to give each of them a blessing you, you know he'll bless Levi and he'll bless Simeon and he'll bless all of them and they're all recorded at the end of the book of Genesis so each of the sons gets a blessing of sorts but when we talk about the the primary blessing we're talking about the Abrahamic blessing okay. all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you that's the one that is the most important for the, in terms of all of redemptive history. That's the one that we really care about. And so, yeah, everybody can get a blessing from the Father, but in this line, okay. it's the Abrahamic blessing that matters. Who, Where is God going to trace the movement of salvation that's coming to the whole world? So that's where this story is about to go, and Isaac is saying, I'm going to lay my hands on my son Esau, and give him the blessing that God gave to Abraham and that you know God gave to me that I'm now passing on to you. Verse 5, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, hey, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, and he said, bring me some game and prepare me some delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. So then she hatches the scheme. So Jacob's a schemer, but he doesn't, you know, that that trait doesn't fall far from the tree. You got Rebecca, who's right on the other side, scheming against her husband. And by the way, against Esau. So if you're Esau, imagine this having your mom scheming to steal a blessing from you. Like this is a dysfunctional family. Let's just go ahead and put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Isaac has wonderful characteristics, Rebecca has wonderful characteristics, but. This is not how you run a family. Like, there's a lot of what not to do when you look at the patriarchs and matriarchs. So she says, Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you, 
not Esau, before he dies. But Jacob, so now you get the, the voice of conscience, which is shocking here, or at least the voice of skepticism, like, what if we get caught? Yeah. <laughs> Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, well, behold, my, my brother Esau's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I'll, I'll seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go Bring them to me. So I want you to imagine here, like, I want you to enter the dysfunction. I, I feel like I am for the first time ever. <laughs> you have a mom who's telling her son to deceive the father to betray his brother. There's a lot there. <laughs> right? And the son is going, what if we get caught? And she's like, I'll deal with it. The punishment can fall on me. Just obey me and scheme them out of what they want yeah the ancient words make it feel less like you just said but it is what you said you know they make it a little more flowery it feels yeah no this is this is this is total scheming total scheming and so what she's saying is i will take the curse for you if they find us out so in order to get the blessing she's willing to take the curse for him there's going to be a lot of that going on in the life of jacob um so verse 14 wait is she is Rebecca doing right here or wrong? Because she does have the promise that the older will serve the younger, but is she trying to cut ahead of God making this happen? This is a, that's a great question. So but it seems like it's about to be a buzzer beater because it seems like the blessing that yeah. Jacob's been promised is not going to happen unless she intervenes. So this is one of those questions where you do, is she scheming? Because it's, it's not right to do. It's not right to be dishonest. It, it would be like saying... You know, lead somebody to the Lord because that would be really honoring to God, but lead them to the Lord by lying to them. Mm. You know, tell tell them a whole bunch of false stuff so that they trust in Jesus. Like, well, yeah, that's a that's a good outcome, but would God ever endorse the means? Like, no, of course not. Like, I don't think God's going to Rebecca and saying, Hey, I got a great way for you to cheat, lie, and steal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like now, he's going to ultimately, like, it, this gets back to, remember when we had the conversation about Abraham, how he would look at circumstance and the promise, and it's like, well, well how, how do I make this work? Yeah. You know, because the circumstance looks like the promise is impossible, so let me just intervene and help the circumstance. Like, Abraham was constantly doing that. And I think that's what Rebecca is doing here. It's like, wait a minute, God told me that Jacob was going to be the one who was, you know, ultimately blessed and that Esau was going to serve him. It looks like Isaac's about to really mess this up. So mm. I need to intervene on behalf of God to get this fixed. And I don't think that's necessary. Like God ultimately is going to bless who he's going to bless. He can overrule whatever Isaac says really easily and quickly. And by the way, what this does, and and this is kind of like the life story of Jacob, there's going to be so much pain and hardship that comes through the disobedient path. Like if he had just submitted to God, he would have had a blessed life without all of the craziness that you're going to see that comes into his life because they chose a path of scheming. Like if they had trusted, as we'll see, if they'd have just said, you know what, God, you said that it was going to be this way. I'm trusting in you. And, you know, if my husband wants to do something stupid here, that's his decision to make. God, you'll overrule him. So Okay, that makes more sense, that God in the end could have still let this happen and come back around yeah. and fix it. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I certainly don't think he's calling them to dishonesty. Yeah, I don't think he's pro yeah. this. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother, 
and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Now, the idea there is, you know, back then they didn't do laundry every day. Got that smell. You got a smell. Got that hunter smell. The smell of an outdoorsman, which means Mm. blood and sweat and B.O. and... mm. Delish. (laughs) Delish. So... And the skins of the younger goat she put on his hands, which is like, can we just pause for a moment and imagine how hairy Esau must have been? Yeah, because like, it works. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. Like, it goes fine. <laughs> Here, we're going to put a, a skin of a young goat with all of its, you know, hair. And it's not like, you know, arm hair is pretty fine. Yeah. You, you ever pet a goat? No, but I can imagine. It's like coarse hair. So th- this guy's like not only hairy, but it's like woolly. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's walking around full insulated. Yeah, d- no kidding. I'd have been shaven. And Israel, he, like, there's just no way. You've been the first one to figure I'm going to be the swimmer, the swimmer <laughs> of ancient Israel. So anyway, the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So this is really her scheme. Yeah, for sure. Jacob's a pawn right now. Yeah, completely. But he's learning from his mom. So this is the way he's been raised up. So verse 18, it says, So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Which is an odd question, right? Like yeah. You only have two of them. And you invited the one back. Like, yeah. Esau has a plan that you're expecting him to return with exactly what I have. But he says, who are you, my son? Which means I'm expecting Esau, but my ears mm, are boy. not hearing Esau to where I'm second guessing and I'm saying, all right, who, which, which one are you? Who are, who are you? And if you're blind, don't your ears pick up a little more? Yeah, so you should be compensating. So you got to remember that. So in the story, he's blind. And <clears throat> all of Rebecca's efforts, like if you break down the five senses, you got... Okay, he's blind, so sight is out of the picture. He's not deaf, so that's going to be the tricky part. Can you, like, what happens when he hears Jacob's voice, but he's looking for Esau's voice? (laughs) And I imagine this is wrong. This is total speculation, but, you know, Esau's been outside. Just imagine this, like, coarse, rough man's voice, whereas, you know, Jacob's, Mm. I imagine, you know, he's been hanging out with mom. You got me thinking Esau, like the brute. Yeah. Captain Caveman. So, so you got sight that's taken care of. Hearing's an, an issue, but then you got the other three senses. So you got taste. Well, here comes some game. Like that's what Esau makes. So this is the food of Esau. You have the clothing of Esau, which smells, you know, mm, like like outdoorsman. So you got the smell taken care of, and then the last one is touch. You got the hair all over the body. So. The scriptures, without saying it, are walking you through each of the five senses. Like, how are, how is he going to be fooled? All of his senses, you know, the sight doesn't come into play. Three of the senses are going to be compelled to think it's Esau. But there's the one. It's the hearing. That's the one that has some uh, asterisks over it. So, he says, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And I want you to pay attention to this because when we get later on, when when Jacob is asked direct questions, so many times he lies about who he is. He lies about his identity. He lies about his purpose. Um, and here he's like, oh, I'm, I'm Esau, your firstborn, of course. 
I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. He's right to the point. I want the blessing. And so Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. So in his lie, he's like bringing, bringing God in, into it. Yeah, bringing in the religious comments. Like, of course I'm, you know, God is showing me favor. Yeah, you know, should bless me because God's blessing me right now, Dad. That, right, right. So, I mean, he's dressing everything up in this religiosity. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not, which is kind of weird. So, but he's, I think he's nervous at this point. He totally, he totally does not think. He's skeptical at least. He does not think this is Esau. Like, otherwise, I want you to imagine if you come into your day, like, think about how much distrust is already there to where this is kind of normal conversation. I don't, I don't, we don't, I don't trust that Jacob character. So I need you to come closer to me so that I can feel you to make sure that you're my woolly son. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So the deception wins. And he said, are you really my son Esau? Man, how deceptive does Jacob have to be? <laughs> like, he's like, man, I, okay, I feel the hairiness, but this is exactly the kind of stuff that Jacob would do. So I'm still not trusting that you're not Jacob trying to pull one over on me. Like, this is what I mean. Remember last week when I asked you, who would you rather room with? Yeah. Esau or Jacob? Because if you're rooming with Jacob, you always have to be on guard. You got to lock your stuff up. Here you have his dad who's like, I'm not sure you're not Jacob. Yeah, even after he blessed me, he's like, are you sure? I feel like I messed up. (laughs) I mean, but how deceptive does Jacob have to be for all these instincts? And he's right. And just a straight up house divided. Like Mm -hmm. that's how crazy it is. Like they're checking who enters the room and they have to prove it to them. Yep. Favoritism. Favoritism is destroys these families and rips them apart. So you're not supposed to do that when you have two kids? Just each of you pick one and fight over it? Yeah. You do your best to hide your favoritism. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding, kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's no favoritism in our home. But when the crazy thing is, what does Jacob do when he has 12 kids? He's he's going to go straight back to the favoritism tree. And how does that turn out? Well, it rips the family apart. And it's like, it's, learn, for the love of Pete, learn something. But, you know, Jacob Jacob's not going to learn from this. Anyway, that's spoiler alert for many chapters down the road. It says, so he checks out the hands. It's... They're hairy, he says, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answers, I am. Then he said, okay, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. So, okay, everything tastes okay. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said. So here now you get, like that's that's the clencher when Jacob comes in to kiss him. So he's betraying him with a kiss. I've never thought about that before, mm. but here we go. Like that, something coming to mind there. But he comes near with a kiss, and it's the smell coming off of Esau's clothing that's like, okay, this... this that would be the hardest to fake. Which which isn't all, all that flattering to Esau. Like you're known by your smell. Like that's the one that clenches it. They smell you coming. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, that's that's Esau, you know? <laughs> and so then he feels comfortable blessing well that was his last of the census test that's it so now we're done and the only one that was faithful is the voice which you pick up on in the new testament when jesus talks about the people who know him like the bible talks about you've never seen him 
Yeah. Um, but you love him, you know, so you, you can't trust your eyesight with faith. You know, all the other senses are taken out of the, the picture, really. But Jesus says, my sheep, what? They know my voice. And you begin to notice there's something very distinct about the word when it's shared with you and the way that it's shared with you and the voice and inflections. It really is like something that, that really gives a, a an identification. And Jesus is saying, like, if you know me, you know my character. You know who I am. You know how I operate. You know my grace and my holiness and my judgment. You should be able to detect my voice, and my sheep know my voice. And had Isaac believed that, you know, that trusted his instinct to recognize the voice, he would not have fallen to this scheme. Yeah, because what is that verse? Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just see that playing out perfectly here. Yeah, deception. Jacob is on on the line to deceive. And by the way, that that holds true for the enemy too. Like you recognize the voice of, of Satan. You recognize the voice of wicked. And the longer you walk with the Lord the more evident it becomes, you know, like, and Satan's always, his whisper always sounds the same. Like you're entitled to something better and you shouldn't have to obey. And God doesn't love you if like, those are always, that's his voice. Mm -hmm. Like you recognize it right away. So like, there's a lot of times where you wonder, does God love me because I'm in the middle of this season or this circumstance or whatever. And when you start dissecting that voice, you're like, that's not the voice of my savior. That's the voice of the enemy. And so trust your gut and recognizing the voice. If you really know who Jesus is, be thinking, is that is that what he would say to me right now? Mm-hmm. When you think about his tenderness, his love, his mercy, his grace, uh, all of that stuff, like you learn to recognize voices. So here, Isaac ignores that instinct. And so he gives this blessing. He says, ah, see, the smell of my son is is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. So there's the fulfillment that the older will serve the younger. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So he's laying down the Abrahamic blessing. He doesn't get to the nations of the earth. That'll come later from God to Jacob. But he's laying down the Abrahamic blessing on Jacob. It says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from Mm -hmm. his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. I've blessed him. Yes, and, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, behold, he has taken away my blessing. 
And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I've given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Which shows you, by the way, Isaac didn't have a big blessing left for Jacob, right? See, yeah. when, when Esau comes in, he's like, well, just give me a blessing. I want a blessing. Yeah, like, like you must have something left over for Jacob. Yeah, and he's like, well, not really. <laughs> you know, I didn't have much good stuff for Jacob, which shows you again the division here. And so the question then becomes like, this is an outrageous story. It's one of those stories that when you look at it, if, if I'm coming in, as an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to go back and remember the first time I ever heard this story, but it feels goofy. You know what I mean? Like, so hold on a minute. A, a guy dresses up and brings game and he gets a blessing. And this is so like written into the law that it can't be reversed. Isaac can't go, oh, he lied. Well, well I'm striking that. Like we're done there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not honoring that. He cheated me. Instead, he recognizes that this spoken blessing is like, thus saith the Lord. It's in stone. It's like, it's firm concrete. He can't walk away from it. And that's always, that's weird to me. But he's saying like, once this covenant comes out, it's binding and he doesn't walk away from it. Why do you think that is? I mean, part of it's the beauty of what the covenant is. Part of it is I've made this blessing and it's not going to leave this person, even if they've done it deceitfully even if they mess up in the future you know there's no if ands or buts like the voice is spoken i mean this is a wild scenario for that to take place in but it does fit what a covenant is that you can't lose it once you get it mm-hmm. i th- and there's part of me that wonders also like you know we talked about did isaac know that god had told rebecca you know and it's here where those words come out of his mouth and then Esau comes in and Isaac is so shook (laughs) by this that he's like, oh my goodness, it came true. Like I just laid down the blessing that the older is going to serve the younger. And maybe at that point he's realizing like the sovereignty of God just intervened against my own desires to overturn it. I am not about to stand in front of this train. Like if God just ordained and engineered that to overcome my own rebellion, I'm not going to reverse it. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah, it does seem like now, I know we talked about it, but I think he did know. I think he did too. And he was trying to get around that by doing some quick private blessing ceremony that no one else knew about. Rebecca just happened to overhear it and set the wheels into motion. And it just seems like everyone's trying to cheat everybody here. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, where where are we going to go? Because doesn't he live for 80 more years? Well, hold on a minute. The, there's one person who didn't cheat anyone in this. There's one person who's not rebelling in all this. You know who it is? Jacob? No. Esau. Oh, yeah. So you got, you got Jacob, or you got Isaac, the dad, who is yeah. got Rebecca saying, hey, God told me that the older is going to serve the younger. And he's like, nope, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know. So he's in rebellion against God, if he knew, which I think he did. You got Rebecca who's scheming to fool Isaac. You got Jacob who's playing along with it in person and being like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm Esau. Yep, dad, I'm Esau. Give me the blessing. Esau is just obedient. Isaac said to him, hey, go get me some food. He does it. He comes back. He's done everything he's supposed to. He's getting in line for the blessing. And he's like, oh, nope, you you just got <laughs> sold it all. You just got bamboozled, you know, and there's nothing left for you except a, a pretty yucky blessing that he's about to lay on him. And it's just like the whole story is like, all right, gross. 
Yeah, it's a weird proxy war because Jacob obviously had a part in it, but it seemed like he was skittish to be a part. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like oh, he was more than happy to get in. the blessing, though. Yeah, I guess he just doesn't want to get caught. That's true. <laughs> it's like, what happens if he? What if he finds out and he gives me a curse? He's not worried about you know shaming his father and his brother. He's yeah, there's no about, real guilt. He's it's worried just... about getting a curse instead. It's it's mm. what what's going to happen to me? Which is Jacob's character for the vast majority of Scripture's coverage of his life. He changes at the end, at the very end. <laughs> But all through his life, it's what about me? What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? Um, and here's right out of the gates, like, hey, I want you to go deceive your dad. Well, what if he finds out and he curses me? It's not, oh, I would never do that to my dad. Not my dad. Like, there's no part of that in Jacob. I mean, it must just be so awkward the next day. Oh, you, like you, just you think? the most. Because <laughs> they're alive together for a long time, aren't they? Yeah. Like 80 well, years Isaac lives? Uh, yeah, I think he lives re- 40 years more or something like that. Okay, but still 40 years yeah, is a long time. Yeah. To- well, a lot of that, Jacob's bailing. You know, he, uh, he sure he's going to run away. Laban, yeah. But but still, like, and you got to think how strained their relationship is going into this, <laughs> that everything is like, are you really Esau? Like, there's no trust of Jacob. That, and the scripture brings that out without having to say it. Like this, this home is dysfunctional. That's why I think he knew because that was the breaking point for their marriage. Huh? <laughs> yeah. That she like heard that Jacob was going to Lord over Esau and he didn't like that. Yeah. No. And so they've lived the whole lives hoping that that doesn't one's been trying to usurp that. And one's been trying to make that happen. Mm. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I'll tell you what, like some of the, the marriage counseling or even in my, our own home, like, some of our, our most tense moments come with disagreements over parenting. And so here you have a kid that, you know, does what dad likes and seems, you know, to be, you know, pleasing and everything else. Rebecca's saying, no, we got to give the blessing to the, to the screw up, you know, the one who's scheming all the time. And Isaac's like, I'm just, no, that would be hard to do. I get that. No way. Have you seen what he's done to us? Like, yeah, yeah I, this is I tricky think, all around. It really is. It really is. And, and through it all, through all their dysfunction, God is actually rolling out a plan that is going to be redemptive. Yeah, and we'll you don't really see, see God move in this. No. Which is interesting because all throughout maybe Abraham's saga, you saw him intervene, you saw him intervene. He's kind of just letting this play out mm-hmm. almost. But he's at the same time that he's letting it play out, do you know that this whole story has been a presentation of the gospel? Do you, do you realize that? Like... So let me, let me. Yeah, walk me through it for the listeners at home. <laughs> when I first saw this or first noticed this, it was like, that's really cool in a very upside down way. So, so here's the story. You have the wicked son, right? The wicked son who's absolutely, according to the father, not entitled to the blessing, right? You're not entitled to blessing. You, you've been a, you're a liar. You're a thief. You're Jacob. You're, you're a mess. And what does Jacob do? Jacob, in order to get the blessing of the father, has to cover himself in the imagery of the firstborn son. He needs to take on the aroma of the firstborn son. He needs to come with the, the nourishment of the firstborn son. He needs to do all of these things where he's taking on the image of the firstborn son in order to get the blessing of the father. That is the gospel. 
Like that is absolutely the gospel. My story is I'm a mess. I'm a deceiver. I'm, I am absolutely not entitled to the blessing of my father. But the difference in the story is I don't have to go to the father and deceive him and say, no, I'm good enough. Really, really, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm Jesus. You know, look at me, look at me, look at how I live, look at how I smell and all those things. The reality is the beauty of the gospel is where Esau wants nothing to do with Jacob getting a blessing. Like there's Esau's angry that Jacob has gotten the blessing. Our firstborn son of God, the father loves us so much that he looks at his blessing. He looks at his birthright. He looks at his inheritance and says, no, no, no. I want that to go to Sam. I want it to go to Jacob. And so how are we going to make that happen? I am willingly going to go to the cross where I'm going to take my garment, my, my righteousness, the clothing of righteousness that I have earned and I deserve, and I am going to clothe Sam and Will and the righteousness of Christ so that when they stand before a God and Father who is not blind, who sees everything, he's not fooled, but he sees you clothed in the righteousness of the firstborn son who is entitled to it all, and he grants you the inheritance and the blessing. And so when you see God ordaining a crazy story like this, what is it, what's it making you long for? Well, for all of us that are inadequate, for all of us who struggle, for all of us that are immoral and not firstborn and not the privileged, man, what it would be like to not have to scheme and struggle to get our way into the blessing. And the gospel says, you know what? Your older brother, Jesus, loves you so much he's not bitter that you schemed your way into the blessing. He's given it away freely. Mm. Amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. But that's absolutely what's going on in this story. It's the, it is the inverted picture of the gospel. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> so, so even though God, it seems like good grief to, to any of these characters in this story, because we know Esau hates God, but he's the only one who's doing what he's supposed to. Everyone else is scheming and you know distrustful and rebellious, and they're all the people who love God, or at least interested in his blessing. Wild. It's, it's like the scripture keeps coming to you in Genesis and saying, if you think salvation comes to you based on your obedience, you have missed the whole point. Yeah. These are not super obedient, wonderful, moral, you know, straight laced. Good grief. Genesis is not a book of straight laced people. To say the least. But God is faithful to those who cling to his promises. His, his devotion, his faithfulness, his covering, his grace, his covenant is for those who love the promise, who love the blessing. It's not for a moralistic people. Now, he wants his people to be good, and ultimately he shapes each of the, these people. Ultimately, you know, the covenant will make you moral the more you give yourself to it. But he doesn't seek you out because you're moral. In fact, it almost seems like, it almost seems like he's targeting immoral people sometimes. And yet he's redeeming and transforming them through his promise. Yeah, it's a clear indicator that we can't deserve or earn the blessing in Genesis. No. Jacob is, and the fact that God's like, okay, this is, this is the guy who's going to build, all of Israel comes from Jacob. His 12 sons become the 12 tribes. Like, this is Israel. He will be Israel. It's absolutely right. His name gets changed to Israel. And God's like, yep, this is the guy. What a guy to make the founding figure. <laughs> I mean, really, it's... 
It is wild. And you can't read this with like the Sunday school cleaned up version or it loses all of its beauty. The beauty of this story is like we've been talking about. This is a train wreck who does not deserve it. And yet God, because he's faithful to his promise, will give it to those that don't deserve it. And then in the process, he will clean them up through the promise, through the power of the promise working in their lives as they age. They get more and more like him, even though they start ugly. There it is. I was wondering how you're going to get to that today. What? The whole gospel-centric thing. Oh, yeah, Look at this story, and you're like, I don't know about this one. (laughs) It's all over the place, man. It's all over the place. But what that does, I had this conversation with some staff members, you know, and anyone who's a parent walks through seasons where you're like, what have I done? (laughs) You know, or or do you feel inadequate? And I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Hopefully none of my kids ever listen to this. I doubt it. (laughs) No kidding. So I've got four kids and they're all really, 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 really wonderful and amazing. I got my oldest son who has, you know, tender heart, super sensitive, uh, loves people. He's, he's somebody who loves the underdog. Um, but sometimes he struggles socially and he wonders where he fits in like anybody his age does. But he's, he's got some insecurities. And so those insecurities make him far more receptive to matters of faith. Like mm. if, I, if I'm talking about worship, if I'm talking about identity in Christ, man, he's just there soaking it up to tell me more because I need this. I get to my daughter Leah, so third in, in line, and she struggles with anxiety. Um, she struggles with you know separation anxiety, and not normally, but like if we're at home and Laura and I want to go out on a walk, she's like, oh, I, I, can I come? Like I, you know, she's nervous to be left by herself. She struggles with some fear issues, but she's amazing. Great grades, very athletic, super talented. But she's got this insecurity, and she too, spiritual matter, she soaks them up. Give me more, give me more. But they recognize inadequacies. So my second born son whose name, ironically, is Jacob, is just like, we don't have to tell him to do his homework. He does. He gets the good grades. He's, you know, starting quarterback for the team, you know, and those things just come natural to him. And if you ask him about Jesus, he will tell you the right answers, you know, and, and he means it, but he hasn't hit that point in his life yet where faith is like essential. I need this because I feel inadequate. And, you know, I was talking with Laura about this. Like, you know, he's our straight A kid. He's the one that, you know, starts, you know, gets the lead role in the play. Like whatever he touches turns to gold. And we're like, but faith as compared to our two other older kids, Caleb and Leah, hasn't become like his to where he's passionate about it yet. Mm. And there's part of us as parents that like we're thinking like, do we need to like root for him to struggle (laughs) like to have some failure in his life? Because the reality is like, we all, we all want Esau's, Mm. you know, we, we want the kid who, you know, it's, you know, we want a kid that's not a lot of work. It's likable. That does things. It's good at those things. That's right. But you know, you look at a Jacob who's got all kinds of mess going on in the life, but man is the blessing important to him. You know, he, mm. he recognizes that there's something more that he needs. He's not enough on his own. Um, like, which, which kid would you feel more comfortable with? A kid that's a total train wreck but loves the promise 
or a kid who's really obedient that doesn't seem to get it in terms of faith? Which one would you want? I mean, and the question, the answer is, well, in my flesh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How old am I? <laughs> yeah, in my flesh, I I want the one that checks the boxes, that does the homework without being asked, who gets the good grades and starts on the team and blah blah. blah. But through spiritual lenses, man, give give me a Jacob. We'll work through the problems. Like we'll we'll work through the problems, but I want them to look at the Lord and to value his promises and chase after them with the same kind of intensity, even if it's messed up and misguided, as Jacob did. Give me give me that. I'd rather work with that than the perfect little obedient, wonderful kid who doesn't get it. And by the way, all my kids you know, are on the right track. I'm not saying we're worried, but I'm saying the ones that get it the most are the ones who feel the need. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And I guess that is at the root of the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. if the ground at the foot of the cross is level, then it's level for messy people. Like that's the only thing that you have to realize before you can really take hold of the cross. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great comfort for parents out there who've got kids that you look at and you go, like if there's two options in front of them, you they like Jacob just picks the wrong one. <laughs> like it's like he goes out not my Jacob. The we're back to Bible Jacob. He goes out of his way to pick the wrong one again and again and again. And yet God is chasing after him. Jacob have I loved. He refers to himself as the God of Jacob. He founds a nation out of this guy. Like God's delight is all over this guy. And so as a parent of somebody who's like a Jacob, right? Like, if you have a kid like this, worry about the promise. Just keep putting the gospel in front of them. Yeah. You know, because if, if that if that coin drops, the rest of it will take care of itself. God's going to work it out. And put your hope and your faith in that. Thoughts? Anything else? I mean, we haven't finished the text, but yeah. So, e- so Isaac has answered Esau. He said, you know, I've made your brother Lord over you. I've given him, you know, the, the meat of the blessing. And so it says, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father answered and said to him, and he gives him this leftover blessing, which you assume it was meant for Jacob. And Esau knew it was going to be bad. I mean, you're weeping before you even hear it. Yeah. This is no, this is, this is no good. Collus- <laughs> this is collusion no good. at its finest. Yeah. He says, behold, and it's, it's very similar to what Ishmael got right? You're going to be sent away. You're going to live alone. You're going to be against your brothers. Well, here it comes again, just different language. He says, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. In other words, you're going to be out in the wilderness where, you know, it's not garden. It's not lush, you know, away from the fatness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven on high by your sword, you shall live. You're going to be out where in the nomadic territory where it's dangerous and you shall serve your brother. There it is. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. In other words, there's going to be a division in our family. Your descendants are going to hate his descendants. And you see that with Esau's descendants become the Edomites. Jacob's descendants are the Israelites and they, they are at each other's throat quite a bit. So now comes the pivot in the story. Verse 41, it says, Now Esau hated Jacob, hated him, because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. In other words, he's coming to the end. Everybody thinks Isaac's on his last legs. He's got a while to go still. But he's like, they're approaching. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, 
And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Now hear that? What is she saying? She's already lost Esau. I've lost Esau. So here's the mom who has schemed and she's lost him. And she's, it's like she's okay with this in some sense. Like she's bereft. She's grieving. She's not happy about it. But it was a willing sacrifice that she made. And so like this starts becoming Abraham in reverse. Yeah, she doesn't sound like, wouldn't she just be bereft if she lost Jake, like both of them? It sounds like she's not mourning the loss of Esau at this moment. She's almost conniving and calculating still. But she's saying, why should I be left bereft of you both in one day? So she's like, she's already counted the cost. I'm losing Esau. Esau. Now now think, go back, because you know how the, the patriarchs have all the echoes. You have Abraham who sends Ishmael away for the sake of Isaac. Mm-hmm. And then the next chapter, he's asked to kill Isaac. And you're like, whoa. Well, here you have Rebecca, who's like, you know, I'm, I'm sending, in a sense, Esau away by conniving him out of his blessing but now i couldn't stand the thought if he kills you and we have a cain and abel moment Mm. so i'm going to send you away for your protection and so then rebecca scheming again goes to isaac and says i loathe my life because of the hittite women if jacob marries one of these hittite women like these one of the women of the land what good will my life be to me and so this has been set up at the end of Genesis 26, if you remember. Uh, you have Esau who marries the Hittite women, which is a knock on Isaac. Um, so the Hittites are like they, they're co-mingling with the Canaanites. They're all pretty wicked cultures. Remember when Abraham is like, do not let Isaac take a bride from among the people of this land because they're so wicked? Yeah. And he sends them all the way back home uh, where they're cultured and a little bit more moral. Isaac doesn't do that with Esau, so which is kind of like confusing because it shows I don't really care about his character and what he's seeking after, and he can take you know the pagan stuff and all the really gross rituals and everything else. And so Esau ends up marrying two of them, and it ends the last chapter in 26. It says that these daughter-in-laws made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And so now Rebecca's playing that up at the end of 27 by saying, man, if if Jacob marries one of these and we have another daughter-in-law like the two Hittite daughter-in-laws that we already have, like I won't be able to take it. So I'm going to send him away. It'll be a short mission. You know, he's just going to find a wife. And so she's essentially lying to Isaac um, to get him protection. And Jacob is going to stay there for more well over a decade, I think 20 years, he ends up staying with Laban. Wow. So, so that's Genesis chapter 27. That's the last verse. Summarize that in a beautiful way. I think we did that <laughs> halfway through. Yeah, go back to the halfway yeah. point, and that's, that's where we meant to end. How do we wrap this up? God's just still using messy people who hold on to his promise. So, so I guess the question then becomes... And this is where we get uncomfortable with these stories is it feels like God 
is endorsing this kind of behavior, right? Is that, would you say that's what makes you uncomfortable when you read these stories? Yeah, it seems like the absence of God in his endorsement. Yeah. So here you have Jacob doing all this stuff, and it seems like he just, he keeps, he got the birthright through deception and kind of conniving. He's getting the blessing through deception. And what God is doing, like, so if you're looking at it in the moment, you go, no, this is the unjust thing. It should be Esau. I'm uncomfortable with this. What kind of holy book is this? But then what the scriptures allow us to do is we get to know how this story ends. You know, in our own lives, we don't get to see why God shows favor upon the wicked. But in the scriptures, we're given a little bit of a tour behind the curtain, right? We know how Jacob's life ends. And so one of the things that you see here is Jacob, this is, this is launching a decades-long story where Jacob, through fighting against God and through his own scheming, is going to run up against real pain and real tragedy. And before you know it, he's, he's, he is going to be you know, a victim of conniving, and he is going to learn what it's like to lose. And in that whole process, he is being conformed into the image of Christ, believe it or not. And God is using these events. You know, he's, he's not responsible for the cheating or the lying, but he's going to use the events that are unleashed because of the cheating or lying to throw Jacob into situations that are hard, that are full of suffering, that are going to begin to shape him and conform him into the image of Christ. And so what I love about this story is it's all about image, like who your image is to get the blessing before the Father. That's how the story launches. But the reality is, is through the rest of his life, he's it's like sandpaper. God is like a sculptor or something, and he's just chiseling away at the ugly parts of Jacob to where by the end of his story, you have what God designs for Jacob, not the schemer, not the immoral guy, not the mess that we see in this chapter. But God's going to use what happens as a result of all the deception to conform Jacob into his own image. When you get to Romans and it tells our story, like think about, think about what we just read with Jacob having to dress himself up as Esau and take on the image of the firstborn in order to get the blessing. Think, think about what Romans 8 says. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So the whole, like Romans 8 is getting into this idea that because you're a child of God the Father, you're entitled to an inheritance. Well, listen to where it goes next. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? to be conformed into the likeness of his son, the firstborn, so that the firstborn, Jesus, might be firstborn among many brothers. In other words, like the blessing is poured out and the firstborn shares the inheritance so that he can be firstborn among many brothers. And he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also along with him not graciously give us all things? And that's... That's pretty wild. And so, like, I mean, you look at Romans 8, and what is it? You get the blessing by taking on the righteousness of Christ through the promise, being conformed into the image of his son. It's where Jacob's story starts. And God is going to carry something out in the life of Jacob that will increasingly make him more and more godly. Yeah, and I think that's where we have to be okay with sanctification ourselves mm -hmm. and in those around us. And I think 
to give grace to ourselves and to those around us that just because you've entered into the blessing doesn't mean you've been fully conformed yet, nor will you be till we see glory, but yeah. you know, give each other a break. That's right. He who began a good work in you will be faithful yeah. until it's completion of the day of Christ Jesus. Like there it is. He's begun a good work. He hasn't finished it yet, but thank Definitely the Lord. not in this room. You're, you're working, <laughs> you're a work in progress, which is, which is an awesome thing. All right. Well, Thank you for joining us today. I hope that was edifying for you as we continue to see what a scoundrel Jacob is, and yet God looks at this scoundrel and absolutely loves him to pieces. Not necessarily because of what he sees in Jacob, but because of what he knows Jacob to be in the eternal sense of things. He belongs to the Lord because he holds firm to the promise, and that's who we need to be. We need to know that God sees us not only as we are, but he sees us as we will one day be, which is kind of an exciting thought. And that makes him delight. Mm. So have a great week. We hope that you have a happy Easter celebrating the Lord's resurrection. It's been fun to produce our 200th episode. Join us next week for 201 as we continue in the life of Jacob. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.